when I look at the women who have really made it to the top of the field, the ones who have been practicing and are getting the biggest verdicts, they're women who went through struggle, but they're women who kept getting up. As women, we tend to internalize our struggles, but we must learn to reach out in order to succeed. Once the top is reached, look around for others who might need help. So it's our job to open our eyes, to recognize it's happening, to call people out, and to hold opportunities out to both sexes on an equal basis. To actually say, okay, who deserves an opportunity? Who really is the best person for this case? In 2021, women made up over half of all summer associates for the fourth year in a row. Yet, equity partners in multi-tier law firms continue to be disproportionately white men. Only 22% of equity partners are women. We would like to see that change. Hello, and welcome to LawHer, the show where we celebrate the trailblazing attorneys and entrepreneurs who are changing the game for women in the legal fields. Be inspired by their stories, learn from their mistakes, build community, and look forward to the future they're helping build for the next generation of women in law. I am Sonia Palmer, your host and VP of Operations at Rankings, the SEO agency of choice for personal injury lawyers. This is LawHer. Phoebe Fell is founder of Fell Law, adjunct professor at the University of San Diego School of Law, and partner at Athea Trial Lawyers. She's a member of the National Trial Lawyers, Top 100 Trial Lawyers, the Daily Journal's Top 100 Women Lawyers, and has recovered over $200 million for her clients. She did not get to where she is on her own and looks to bring others with her as she rises. Today, we discuss what can be done to help close the gap between women and men and why being yourself is a superpower. We also get into what it takes to build a kick-ass group of female trial lawyers. When looking to build a better table, before reaching out to others, ask yourself, what do you bring? What are you best at? Then sing it from the rooftops. Let's dive in. So my father is a lawyer. My two uncles are lawyers. My grandfather is a lawyer and my great grandfather is a lawyer. So that makes me the fourth generation. I grew up around the law at four years old. What could you possibly know about what it means to be a lawyer? And when I think back about that early influence in my life, what really stands out to me is just the way I felt about my father. I mean, I I loved him to pieces. I adored him. I wanted to be exactly like him. And he woke up in the morning, he put on his work clothes, he left and did something really important that impacted our community and that gave him a lot of respect. And so I wanted to do something really important that would impact the people in my community. And if I heard correctly, first female lawyer. Yes. So my generation is the first generation to have any female lawyers. And my generation is comprised entirely of female lawyers. So it's (laughs) myself and then my cousin. Nice. Very nice. (laughs) Uh, You're clearly very creative and a very, very hard worker. What keeps you motivated? You know, I think my motivation comes from two places. Number one, I see the impact of what I do. Um, I am lucky enough to work for people who allow me to make a big difference in their life. So most of my clients have just gone through something horrific, a catastrophic accident or the loss of a loved one. And I see my role as trying to help them pick up the pieces and create some semblance of a future that is not going to be what it should have been, but it's it's going to be a little bit better, right? So 
I get to change the life of a child, the life of a family. I get to provide the kind of resources that can take care of somebody who's been catastrophically injured, who used to provide for their, for their house. So that is very motivating for me. I feel like that is very important work. And also I feel like it's just fun. You know, I have a lot of fun doing what I do. And I'm very lucky in that respect that my work is enjoyable and interesting to me. When you look at jobs and careers, if you are excellent at something, no matter what it is, fixing cars or spreadsheets or personal injury lawyer, it can be fun. And we we say this often, but personal injury attorneys, you're often seeing people on the worst day of their lives or like in the worst period of their lives. And so it's so important to like recognize how special and important you are to them. And I think you do. Yeah. I really feel that it's an honor. You know, they, they come to you in their most vulnerable time. They allow you to hold their hand through that time and let you in to every corner of their family. So it's really a special relationship. Mm -hmm. It definitely is. Of all the accolades and awards you have received over the years, which among them are you most proud of? The one I'm most proud of is one that I got recently. It was given to me by the Society of Women Trial Lawyers. It's the first year of the award, and the award was Woman of the Year. It was designed to go to someone who uh, showed grace, perseverance, strength, both in trial and in the trials of life. And so that was a very meaningful award to me. Well-deserved. Congratulations. Thank you. And I recently read that you are an adjunct professor at University of San Diego School of Law since 2011. What is it about teaching that kind of keeps you going back every year? Yeah. So when I first started teaching, it was really to scratch an itch. You know, I wanted to be a trial lawyer. I really like the adrenaline rush of being in the courtroom. But as a young lawyer, uh, it's very hard to get that experience. Um, If I wanted any trial experience, I was basically taking my vacation and donating my time to a case just to get the experience. And so I wasn't getting in the courtroom enough to feel like I was having fun and, and fulfilling my purpose. So I started teaching. And teaching scratched that itch to to be in the courtroom in a way. And then over time, I really developed some uh, nice relationships with students, mentoring relationships. And so now it's that that mentorship that keeps me going. So as someone who went to law school, student learning law, as a lawyer, practicing law, (laughs) and then as a professor, teaching it like is there a difference did you or like each of those things different did you learn something different about law and all of those yeah they're they're all so very different so you know law school does not teach you how to be a lawyer at all you get into the law and it's like holy smokes what are all these (laughs) codes and these motions and it's like you don't learn any of the nuts and bolts in law school what you learn is how to think Mm -hmm. and so law school for me was really fun I enjoyed the exercise of thinking. I enjoyed putting the puzzles together. I enjoyed issue spotting. And it seemed really easy. And so then when I got into the law, I I realized how much I had to learn. Um, And there is this very steep learning curve. I worked incredibly hard, slept very little, tried to juggle a young family, Um, 
and and all of that theory is then real. Now it's not just having fun pontificating about something. It's like, wait a minute, I could lose this. I could lose this and lose my client. At the time I was doing business litigation, I could lose them a lot of money. And so the the gravity of what I was doing, the responsibility of what I was doing really set in to the practice. Now that I've been practicing for a long time, it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. As far as being a professor, we're back to fun. We're back in law school. We're having fun again. (laughs) You're right. The stakes are significantly higher when you're actually practicing law versus learning it or teaching it. We know that more women in the field does not necessarily mean there will be more female partners. What do you think can be done to sort of close the gap between women and men at partner level? So there's a lot of women in the legal fields, but few of them as partners or owners. How do we close the gap? There is a huge gap and we do need to close it. That gap gets even wider when you look at women who are more like five to seven years of practice. I think what we need to do is we need to have more women mentoring women. When I was a young lawyer, I didn't have anybody to look up to and say, okay, this is what my life can be like. This is what my career can be like, because I was looking at men who were in very different circumstances than Mm. me. The other thing we can do as women is support each other through the hard times I mean, there are so many women who think that in order to compete in this male-dominated profession, we need to be perfect. We need to have perfect lives. We need to have lives that just give us a clear path to doing our job and only our job. And that's just not reality. When I look at the women who have really made it to the top of the field, the ones who have been practicing and are you know, up there in the, the highest organizations getting the biggest verdicts, they're women who went through struggle but they're women who kept getting up. And I think that needs to be the message to young women. Whatever you're facing, whether it's issues with kids, divorce, infidelity, illness, there is a path through if you want to keep going in this profession. Do you think to prepare women, and I think maybe this is something that men understand, it's not going to be easy, but it will be worth it. And what you said at the beginning, I do feel like women often take the burden on themselves. I can do it myself. I don't need help. And so they don't look for help from other women. And then it's not then as instinctual to then reach out to other people, you know? So I do think that relying on others, other women can impact that. Is there another role that you think that like community can play? I think you know, our community tends to have this impression that it's not happening, right? I, I, there are so many people who have made it, who I respect. And because it doesn't impact them in their circle, they don't see it. So I think as a community, we really need to open our eyes to the fact that yes, it still exists. Why aren't we hearing about it? Because women aren't complaining about it. Mm-hmm. Why are women complaining about it? Because women get punished for complaining about it. So it's our job, especially the, those of us, male and female, who have made it to the tops of our profession to open our eyes, to recognize it's happening, to call people out, and to hold opportunities out to both sexes on an equal basis. Not just that group of friends that you go to the bar with all the time that happens to oh. be the same gender as you. But to actually say, okay, stepping outside of my small circle, which is so biased because I like the people who are like me, right? 
who deserves an opportunity? Who really is the best person for this case? Yes. A lot of the reason we started this podcast was because women were not getting the same amount of sort of attention, opportunity, recognition that their male counterparts were. But then when I started booking guests and started looking around, there was no shortage of very successful, powerful, prominent women who were just at the absolute top of their field. They're not being as paid attention to. I think you're, that first thing that you said just about paying attention and looking around and seeing the people who are already doing it. So yes. What lessons do you wish all female lawyers knew right now or young lawyers entering into the field? Yeah. I think the number one lesson I wish I could teach everyone is be yourself. I mean, you are worthy of being in this profession you are worthy of representing that client. You are worthy of taking that high profile case. Don't question that. Step in there and be yourself, your worthy self. You don't have to pretend to be somebody that you want to emulate. You don't have to pretend to be male in the courtroom. That, that authenticity is so much more persuasive than any tool you could learn from any seminar. Maybe I love that. I have said, and I've heard other people say it on this podcast, fake it until you make it. And I do think that has been a, a tactic that has worked, but your insight right there, I think is just as valuable. Sometimes you don't have to fake it. Sometimes just be who you are and that is enough. Yeah. And you know, you know where I think fake it until you make it comes from. I think it comes from our insecurity and it, and our own questioning whether we can do something, so whether we should raise our hand. So my message would not necessarily be fake it until you make it, but to take some, some positivity from that and say, look, be yourself, but raise your hand. Say mm -hmm. yes. You may not feel like you know how to do it, but guess what? You're going to put the work in. And by the time that thing comes that was so scary, you're going to kill it because you're nervous about it. And there's no motivator quite like the fear of, of public speaking. And so <laughs> if it's a talk, if it's a case, if it's an argument, whatever it is, if it's an opportunity for growth, say yes, and then figure it out. hundred percent. Are you really faking it? Or are you just proving to yourself that you were already capable of doing it, that, that this, this is who you are? Exactly. I love that. Can you dig into what you cover when teaching advanced trial advocacy? Yes. Yeah, so advanced trial advocacy is really a nuts and bolts class where we are teaching the students, okay, this is what an opening statement is. And here's what you're allowed to say in opening. And here's what you're not allowed to say in opening. Here's how you ask an open-ended question on direct. Here's how you ask a closed-ended question on cross. And in closing argument, this is what the jury needs to know in order to fill out that verdict form the way you want them to fill it out. So that's, that's what the class was designed to be, is to bridge that gap between theoretical knowledge and actual practical use. So to take these students and ideally going through that class, they could walk into a courtroom the next day and they could try a simple case. So it's bridging that gap. I try to take it one step further, not just how do you do the fundamentals, but what does it mean to persuade? And so we really do explore like, who are you? Who are you in the courtroom? What works? Take risks. 
And not only that, but who are you in your community? Because so much of our reputation comes from everyday life and not just those moments that we're in the courtroom. And that reputation will carry you even in the courtroom when you're in front of a judge who's only heard about you and never seen you in oral argument before. Yes. I have heard that like this generation of students are getting a more practical education on how to practice law, that it's gotten better sort of between those generations. And what you're describing sounds like they're actually, you're actually preparing them to be lawyers and to practice law. Yeah. On the academic side, we are hearing what people need. We are hearing from students that they want to learn how to do their job. And we are hearing from employers that they want students who come in with a law degree and can actually do something instead of having to learn from scratch. It is so important to bring others with you as your career advances. Over the past 15 years, I wondered what ways of lifting one another up has had the most impact. I recently started a firm with five of my partners. I think they're the most prominent female trial attorneys in the country, and it's called Athea Trial Lawyers. It started in the pandemic. Uh, We used to travel around and speak together at conferences, and we all would watch each other in awe, wanting to learn from each other and wanting to, you know... um, spend time with each other and get to know each other. And so one of our partners, Debbie Chang, had this idea. She's like, we have so much respect for each other. We want to learn from each other. What better way than to do it with cases? So let's try cases together. That was hugely impactful for me on both ends. Number one, I'm the baby of the group. So these are my sheroes. These are my mentors. And it gave me an opportunity to really get to know them on a deeper level and to learn from them in a way that was never possible in a conference setting. The other thing is one of our purposes, one of our focuses is on lifting up younger women. So working with them on cases in a way where we're not just taking the case, taking the referral, trying the case and putting our name out there. No, we're we're bringing them along with us. We're giving them a glimpse into how we prepare cases and how we get the verdicts that we get. So that formation of that entity was so impactful on both sides, both for me as the mentee and as the mentor. And I think it's it's been really life-changing for a lot of the women that we've worked with. I believe that. I am ashamed to say I have never heard the term Shiro. <laughs> Isn't it great? <laughs> I'm taking that. <laughs> so how do you collaborate as a team to get the best possible outcomes? One of the things that we do is we have brainstorming sessions, which I just love. I mean, it's an opportunity to get together and to sit back and talk, just talk about a case. Talk about what what moves you about this client's story, um, what upsets you about what the defendant did in this case. And, you know, here here are the tough issues. How are we going to get around it? And as a female owner of my own firm, just like all of my partners, that's something that we often miss out on when we're at the top of our little silo is that ability to run things by another person. I had always before starting my firm been at other firms where I had colleagues that I could talk about these issues with. And so 
I did find that owning my own firm, being at the top, it was lonely. And I didn't have as many people to bounce ideas off of. So when we get together and we do that, we are better lawyers and our cases are better for it. I think that's true of most CEOs, business owners. It's it's a very lonely job <laughs> uh, in any industry. So to have that group of women like you said, just to bounce ideas off of. What do you what do you think about this? And be invaluable. Yep. Is there a criteria to the types of cases you guys take? We take very few cases in Athea. It is really designed for those cases that are going to have a big impact on women or cases where we think as a group we can go out and get a big verdict to show the country that mm. girls get big verdicts too. Love that. Or thirdly, if we find a case or a, a woman, a young woman who's just starting their firm, we like to get involved and try to help them along with, you know, a big case that they have in more of a, a mentorship and case funding role as well to give opportunities that they might not otherwise have. Help them kind of get their first big case. Right. And then for women who are interested in following in your footsteps and creating a collective of kick-ass women lawyers, what does it take? What are some of the first steps? First step to creating a collection of kick-ass women lawyers is be a kick-ass woman lawyer, (laughs) right? Bring something to the table. Be the person that the other women you're contacting want to gravitate towards and learn from. Have something to offer. And, you know, with young people, I, I often find myself telling them, what do you bring, right? You want to go and you want to ask other people to do X, Y, or Z for you to help you along in these ways. What are you offering them first? Because I've found that I've gotten so much more when I've given my time to something or to someone in return than I ever could have given. And so when you help somebody, even if it's just taking the phone call when there's something going on in their life, you make a forever impact on them. So you will be the person that they remember when that next big big case comes in. Absolutely. And it's not necessarily from a selfish place. I think a lot of people don't know. So just asking them, what do you bring to the table? What can you offer? Often can prompt like a moment of reflection. Oh, I can do this. And then kind of spurs that on. Right. And it also focuses them. You know, what, what is the thing that you're really good at? Because that's the thing you you should work on being even better. I mean, that's your strength. Yes, 100%. What are some of the most valuable lessons that you've learned in starting this and then also your own firm? It's relationships are so critical. You could be a great lawyer and not have referral sources, right? And you can be a mediocre lawyer and have a ton of referral sources and make a lot of money, but not make an impact on your clients. Right. So I think you don't want to be either. You want to be a great lawyer and you want people to know about it. So it's having those relationships. It's sharing your victories. It's sharing other people's struggles. It's being real with people and focusing on doing a good job every time you're entrusted to do something big. I love that. It relationships, big umbrella, be good to your clients (laughs) and then be a good colleague. Like it goes both of those directions to develop those. 
Attorneys are filled with a lot of ambition and a ton of drive, and everyone is giving it their all. I imagine the stress of the profession is one shared by most attorneys. In one of your blog posts, you mentioned burning the candle at both ends and that your body shut down. Can you kind of take us back to that time? What was going on and how did you get out of it? Yeah. So I I had just started working at Big Law and I had a new baby. Um, So I was trying to, you know, be a mother, wake up in the middle of the night with my child and be there early in the morning, be there late at night, but also trying to make an impact at my new job, going in really early in the morning, working very long days, working all day on the weekend. And what what happened is I don't feel stress mentally. I, I don't notice it. But I got to the point where I was sleeping so little, having so much caffeine under such high stress for such a long period of my time that my body said, look, sister, if you're not going to stop, we're going to stop you. And I, I started fainting. I started fainting at work. There were probably four or five different occasions that I got taken away from work in an ambulance because I passed out. Wow. Yeah. Your body really did tell you to slow down. It did. It did. Cause I wasn't going to do it <laughs> otherwise. And so, you know, the way I got out of that was, you know, healthier habits, um, making sure that I did find time for myself to get a little workout in, making sure that I was getting sleep was really the biggest thing and having to say no. The reality was I was doing 150% of what was expected of me. And when I dialed it back to 125, nobody noticed but me and my family. (laughs) That's incredible. But that makes sense. Like, you know, um, what we put ourselves through. And I do think that sleep is something that's often like first sacrificed and is truthfully maybe the most important. So now when I go to trial, I go to bed at eight o'clock every night. Doesn't matter what I have to do for the next day. The only thing that changes is the time I wake up. Do I wake up at at 1 a.m.? Do I wake up at 3 a.m.? Do I wake up at 5 a.m.? Because I have figured myself out. If I try to force myself to stay up at night to work because I'm stressed out, it's going to take me three times as long. But if I get an okay night's sleep and wake up really, really early in the morning, I'm up, I'm fresh, I'm fast, I'm efficient. And, uh, you know, that last half hour has never won or lost a case. So <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. It's what your body wants. It wants to sleep, let it sleep. If it wants to wake up, let it wake up. And I'm similar. I don't ever feel mental stress. I start making mistakes. And that's what I'm like, Okay. (laughs) It's same thing with sleep. I might not feel tired, but you're less on, you're less able to do your job. And then in that post, you repeat the comforting words of this too shall pass. And you mentioned the great recession of 2008, completely pulling the rug out from you for women interested in striking out on their own. What financial advice do you have for weathering those downtimes? Yeah. So for weathering the downtimes, I think it's really important that when the times are good, you're putting money away. You have to weather the downtimes by expecting the downtimes to come, whether that's making your lifestyle smaller, whether that's finding partnerships with other people. There are people out there who will fund your cases if you need it. There are people out there who will help you, who will lend an associate and collect money at the end of the case if you need it. So 
uh, weathering the downtimes is is number one, expecting them to come and doing what you can to be prepared for them. Number two, being willing to reach out to colleagues um, and to family for help if you need it. And then number three is hit the freaking pavement. Mm-hmm. When work goes away, it's those relationships that I was talking about earlier that are going to bring new cases in and expand that business. Go out to lunches, go out to meetings, uh, network with with other similar people. Yes, it's excellent advice. Sometimes just being prepared for what can happen, expecting it will make it easier to get through. I think the biggest mistake that I've seen young women do is they go out into the world and they get this great job making a ton of money and then they build their life to that income. You're trapped if you do that. You're trapped in big law. You're trapped in that firm. You're trapped in that particular type of practice. You're trapped in that location. And so if you all can have the discipline in those first five to seven years of your practice to not grow to that income, what you're building, what you're saving for yourself is the opportunity to change and build the life that you want instead of the life that you have to sustain. Yes. And when you work for those firms, you're getting paid by that firm hourly. It's kind of like you put the time in, you get money out. If you start a firm, that business can work with or without you (laughs) and you can create the passive income and earn so that even in those downtimes, it's not that equal input output. What are some bright points that you are optimistic about? I am very optimistic about the future right now. Um, my firm, Fell Law, is two and a half years old. It's it's still a very young firm. Um, we've had the, the best year I've had in my entire career this year. I feel like we are making a, a big impact in the community, speaking, um, teaching, uh, with big cases as well. So I'm I'm really optimistic about my firm. I'm optimistic about my young associate. Um, She just got done trying her first case. She did like I did. She took her vacation, donated her time, just got in there to get into trial. She's got a very bright future. And so I'm looking forward to helping to build her the career that she wants. I love that. And I got one more for you. If you weren't a lawyer, what would you be? I think I'd be a therapist. Oh, yeah, I think you'd be good at that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's why I love the particular area of the law that I'm in. There is an area of the law that is right for every personality. And so it's really important to find that early on. I see lawyers who have been practicing in the wrong area for 30 years and they're so run down and they don't love their job. But when you get it right, it's like this beautiful thing. So for me, I love that my clients call me and tell me what's upsetting them and elicit my input to work through problems with them. I love being that person that they lean on. And so I think if I wasn't a lawyer, I would find that in the therapy setting. You just made a connection for me where I think a lot of lawyers are already therapists because of what you just described, but you get to kind of advocate for them in a different way. So, yeah. And, and it's important to recognize that too, so that we can stay healthy because we witness so much trauma. And even though we're not the one that's going through the trauma, by witnessing it, it is affecting us. And so we need to make sure we're doing what, what we need to do to keep ourselves mentally healthy, to talk to a professional if we need to talk to a professional, to take that downtime, to meditate, do yoga, exercise, 
because it's a heavy load that we help carry. What are some things you just mentioned kind of talking to a therapist? What are some other things that people can do to make bearing that burden a little easier? Yeah. So I I think meditation is really important. Having that quiet time, even if it's not very long and it doesn't have to be formal meditation. Um, Sometimes it's just, it's going for a walk by yourself. Give your mind the opportunity to process what it just went through. So, you know, going for that walk, bringing up those images, you know, some of this is from therapy because I think therapy is really important and I have my own therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a particular type of therapy called EMDR, which helps um, process unprocessed traumatic memories. It doesn't have to be formal though, going for a walk and, and facing that memory, calling up that disturbing image allowing your mind to think its way through it instead of boxing it up and trying to put it away because it never goes away. It's important to give ourselves time to do that, to heal. We are graduating 50% women in law school, but only 22% of all equity partners are women. The work still needs to be done. To help close that gap, we must see women lawyers as complete people who struggle, lean on others, and get through the tough times together. A huge thank you to BB Fell for sharing her story and unbelievable insights with us today. You have been listening to Lawher with me, Sonia Palmer. If you found this content insightful, inspiring, or it just made you smile, please share this episode with a trailblazer in your life. For more about BB, check out our show notes. And while you're there, please leave us a review or a five-star rating. It really goes a long way for others to discover the show. And I will see you next week on Lawher where we'll shed light on how another of the brightest and boldest women in the legal industry climbed to the top of her field. Mm -hmm.